Welcome to the Oxygen Mass Podcast. If you are here as a parent or caregiver, educator or grandparent, we are glad to have you listening. This program is geared for the autism parent, but we welcome and invite all who feel called to be here with us. I'm Tara and I'm your co-host along with my partner, Beth. The title of this podcast, The Oxygen Mask, is based on a metaphor. Just as you are instructed on an airplane to put on your own mask before helping others, we believe we need to practice helping ourselves as parents so we can best help our children. Hi, I'm Beth. At the beginning of each episode, we'll turn that metaphor, that symbol of an oxygen mask, into a concrete practice, pausing a few minutes each day to quiet our busy minds and breathe into our bellies provides a surge of stress-reducing neurochemicals. With practice over time, we actually build pathways in our brains that help reduce our stress response. So even if you hit play on this podcast about to enter multitasking mode, please take a moment of pause for yourself. Let's begin. Close your eyes softly and bring your attention to your feet as they contact the surface beneath them, rooting you to this moment. Roll your shoulders back. Let them settle in a strong, relaxed posture. Take a belly breath in through your nose. Feel the sensation of air in your nostrils, in the back of your throat. Exhale slowly. Notice your chest fall and your belly soften. Draw another deep breath into your belly. Envision the cool air swirling up across your forehead. Exhale, picturing the warm air going down the back of your neck and over your shoulders. Bring your attention to your face, your temples, your jaw. Take a final cleansing breath in. At the top of your in-breath, bend your elbows and softly place your hands on your hips. Exhale slowly, perhaps letting a smile curl the corners of your mouth. Hold this posture for a few seconds as you open your eyes. Welcome to the Oxygen Mask Podcast, where we are recording on World Autism Day, April 2nd. So today our guests are going to help us understand neurodiversity more meaningfully. Um, to start with, I'll just break down the word. Neuro is like brain and neurology related. And diversity, of course, just means all different kinds. So different kinds of minds. Yeah, I love that concept. I'm super happy to have our two guests with us today, um, Elena Bates and Jules Edwards. Both women are parents of neurodivergent children and also are neurodivergent themselves. They're both admins of a wonderful Facebook group called Autistics and Allies. And so welcome, Jules and Milena. Um, Jules, how about if you give us uh, a little introduction to you and you know your journey, a little synopsis. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm Jules Edwards. I am an autistic parent of three autistic children. Um, ages between 17 and seven. Um, so we have a really busy home life. Um, we were all diagnosed later than is typical. So I was in my thirties when I was diagnosed um, and it was after my eldest child was diagnosed. Um, and once I learned about his diagnosis, I read every single book that I could find about autism. It really became 
um, something that consumed a lot of my attention because I really wanted to make sure that I was parenting him the way that he needed me to. Um, and while I was learning, I kept finding myself. Um, and within a year of his diagnosis, um, I got my own diagnosis. Um, and then the more that I learned, um, I realized my other two children are also autistic. So it's been, it's been a little wild to learn about this, um, later in life. Um, and, and this knowledge has really helped us, um, figure out what we need in order to live good lives, um, and find the support that we need. And Melina, how about you? Let's hear uh, your self-intro and, and um, your background a little bit. I, I just want to thank you guys for having me here. And um, I, definitely, I definitely have a little imposter syndrome going on of like, are you sure that you want to, you know, um, that you want to focus on me that much? But um, I, I will just trust you and I fully trust your, um, your plan for this. So... My story is, um, well, obviously it begin, begins with me growing up being quirky and wondering how and why I'm different and being, you know, sometimes validated, sometimes invalidated in those things. And then um, having a child um, in my early 20s who um, was developing differently from the beginning, um, you know, and and always kind of having that struggle between my instincts that were sometimes um, in conflict with conventional parenting wisdom and sometimes even with medical advice and trying to um, figure out how to best um, parent him and how to be the parent he um, needs. One of the first major um, things was getting involved with early childhood special education and um, getting to know a lot of great um, professionals in that area and learning more about him and exactly how he's different. And um, to kind of back up a little bit, between myself and both of my children, um, we have quite a list of different diagnoses and we're neurodivergent, we're each neurodivergent in multiple different ways. And um, I don't feel like I need to list all of those things, but, um, it took me a couple of years after to find the autistic community. And that's where I felt like I really found my ground. Um, that's where I felt like my growth really took off. Autistics and Allies, the group, and um, Jules herself were kind of a big part of, um, part of that um, growth and kind of um, finding that direction, sort of like when you're picking out little goat paths through the woods and then you come out and there's an actual path and you know that's your that's where you're going and um so um when I was asked to if I wanted to step up and help guide that community um I felt like you know um it, it was uh, um it was an opportunity to give back for something that I got that was priceless the uh, opportunity to mentor people and help people through things when I was scrambling for resources um, and trying to problem solve, because that's what you're doing a lot of the time, you're problem solving. Uh, I found that the um, the information from the autistic community and autistic adults was the most um, 
the most significant and the, usually the most helpful thing, um, both practically and also something that didn't um, go against my instincts, you know. So we've got a couple of rock stars on our hands today. Mm -hmm. They um, are doing a lot of great work in the world. And so it's great to have your voices here. You described um, kind of uh, recognizing yourself in, in both of you in that process, but also um, a bigger pattern of now this work and some of the advocacy work you're doing is helping you stay grounded and looking back in your you know youth it was it did it was it kind of like oh that makes sense or yeah it really shifted my whole entire lens of myself and the world around me um I struggled quite a bit as a child um so my parents provided support my grandmother provided support um but other than that when I was in school um, I got a lot of, she's really smart, but she doesn't apply herself. And I was applying myself so hard and no one recognized it. And it felt really bad. Um, when I was in high school, um, in my freshman year, I came home from school one day and announced to my grandmother, I am not going back there. I'm going to a different school. And I found an alternative school um, and it was smaller and it had the reputation of, of um, being the school for the bad kids and the kids who were um, pushed out or expelled from traditional public schools, but it was the best fit for me ever. It was small. We had, um, I want to say five full-time teachers and then some volunteers in the administration. Um, but it was so amazing because they were so flexible and I didn't have an IEP, um, but I was well supported. Um, and I ended up graduating high school, which is not something that I had expected prior to transferring. I graduated second in my very small class. Um, <laughs> so I mean, brains come in all different kinds of, you know, ways. People are all different. And that's something that we should celebrate, not something that we should just tolerate or try to fix. Um, and that's really what neurodiversity is about for me, is making sure that everyone feels welcome in the community, wherever they happen to be, wherever they want to go, where they can be and feel that they are welcome and not just tolerated and not othered. Absolutely. So it was kind of enlightening then once you sort of made sense of. Yeah. So, you know, I have a handful of diagnoses and each time it's been like, wow, that explains so much. And it's helped me kind of forgive myself for some of the stuff that I was really hard on myself about. Um, I have struggled with homelessness. Um, I have struggled with making phone calls. Um, I've struggled with sensory regulation. And until I got my diagnosis of autism, I was like, I don't know, I, like something is wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. And I didn't know what was happening. I just knew that I was struggling and it was hard. Um, and the diagnosis itself 
has been a really incredible tool for me to figure out what do I need in order to be successful in my terms of what is successful. Um, so for me, it's just really a tool. I like how you, um, well, two things that I'm thinking of coming from what you just said, but the othering that happens um, and how the narrative of she won't do this, she doesn't apply herself, she, the won't versus can't, I feel like that's a huge thing that the school system sometimes where the default is, you know, this is the way things are done here. Um, I can see how that is a push out. It's a push out process. Um, I want to ask you a follow up, Jules. Um, how did you get the clarity and decisiveness to come home and say, I'm switching schools? Because I'm sure that the struggle by then was years under your belt and ongoing. How did you know that there was even a different um, an alternative for you, a, a place that might work? Um, part of it was that I had just moved in with my grandmother. Um, and this is actually a relatively common scenario in Native communities where um, children who are struggling at home with their own parents may go and live with a grandparent. Um, and I felt safe. <laughs> I felt safe talking to her about um, my needs and um, the combination of everything coming down. I just was done. I, I said, I will either drop out or I'm going to go to this other school. And they <laughs> that wasn't received well at first. Um, but I think they understood that I was serious <laughs> pretty quickly. Wow, it's pretty that's pretty wise of your of you know such a young person to make that determination too. Good for you for like listening to yourself too. This conversation about so where we've wound up brought me back to Malena, our first talk um, that we did a couple weeks ago, where you talked about um, the the grief kind of where what disconnects you experience between. Um, kind of the typical autism parent narrative or a neurotypical parent narrative and one that doesn't resonate with you around grief. Can you speak to that? Cause I think it gets to our expectations conversation. Yeah. Um, when we got that first autism diagnosis in our family, um, I felt mostly positive things. And um, in the, in the community of parents with uh, autistic children, you know, like, or, or when I disclosed it in groups, I was like, oh, that's really fresh. Are you okay? And things like that. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, this is just information. Um, so that's really how I felt. And um, uh, my environment was guiding me to question the validity uh, of my feelings of like, am I supposed to be grieving right now? Because like when you, um, um, when you talk about it, even with professionals, sometimes the professionals, um, I, I really appreciate that they're trying to validate parents, but it's almost like they're putting, setting this expectation of grief to you um, with, the, um, with the diagnosis. And, you know, I certainly think that there are things to, to be anxious about and to be worried about. And I'm talking about mostly the way that you now know that your um, child is made um, 
uh, is not one of those people for whom this world was created, so to say. So you know that they will encounter a lot of um, ableism and uh, obstacles and that are not fair. You know that they lack a certain kind of privilege. So, you know, you're not going to feel necessarily excited about that. But um, I think when we talked um, earlier, I mentioned that quote that I um, came across at one point, which said that grief is love with no place to go. And that um, is not the official uh, definition of grief, but it feels really real to me. And to me, it really, um, um, it really kind of illustrated why grief felt uh, the wrong thing uh, for autism diagnosis, because unless you're grieving your expectations, you know, then, then you could maybe apply it. Um, like if you are expecting for your um, child to have a neurotypical life, um, and then you find out that that's not going to happen because your child is not who you thought uh, you were raising, then maybe, but that that's entirely a you thing, you know, obviously. So, um, Grief You're me. so right, Elena. <laughs> I, I, I am a parent that experienced some grief and some of it was yeah. mixed with frustration and worry, right? Like I, I think, yeah. and I think you're right that that was uh, legit. And, and, um, but then there was this component of, and I've caught myself a few times. I'm like, why am I even upset over this? Like, it's not necessarily about who he is. It was just this other twisted expectations that I had. So yeah. yeah, you know, um, I just want to make sure that um, um, I think it's healthy for parents to question that. And if you don't feel grief, don't think that you're supposed to. And uh, if you do feel grief, um, you know, really look at what what that is about, because I think there there is something that at one point it gets kind of toxic, you know. And, um, you know, the other thing is, like, I've heard parents say, well, I think this is terrible because I, I can't have the expectation of my kid doing school and then moving out and going to college and getting married and having a job and all that. It was like, that's never been a promise. Like nobody's promised that. And like when you have a child, you are uh, committing to being their parent in whatever scenario, uh, you know, comes across. Um, Jules, you had something to interject there when we were talking about expectations and grief. I, mm -hmm. I did. Um, I actually want listeners to, to examine why parents might feel grief with that diagnosis. That's something that needs to be unpacked. Um, and I would say that the prevalent messaging within society that autism is bad um, is the primary cause of those feelings. So when we talk about stigma um, of autism and other neurodivergent conditions, um, it harms everyone. It doesn't just harm neurodivergent people. It also harms parents who are taught that um, if their child has a certain diagnosis, that child is defective or missing a piece or some other kind of awful messaging. And um, as a parent of a child who could have been diagnosed much sooner than he was, um, I want to call that out specifically because that messaging about autism um, is horrible. And that led to my son's delayed diagnosis because when he was a toddler, 
I searched on the internet, why is my child flapping? Um, and that was about the same time that um, the blue puzzle pieces were a big thing. Um, and there was a video that was pretty viral called I Am Autism, and it was put out by Autism Speaks. And it was stigmatizing and terrifying, quite frankly, about how autism robs families of their children and ruins marriages and all kinds of other things. And I'm looking at my sweet, happy, amazing child and thinking, that's not my child. My child is a gift. My love for him and seeing him who he is did not allow me to reconcile the messaging about autism with his experience or my experience as a parent. Because yes, he avoids eye contact. He flaps. He, you know, has a lot of those stereotype traits. Um, and he is the light of my life. And when the, when the messaging is that autism is bad and it, it, kids who are diagnosed with autism are a pain in the butt or whatever other, you know, messaging that is out there, that hurts everyone. And so the the importance of um, the neurodiversity movement is saying like, hey, it's okay. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna work through this together. We're gonna come up with solutions to make sure your child has a high quality of life and parents have a high quality of life and you have the knowledge, the skills and the tools to live good lives. It's not meant to silence parents or, um, Say, invalidate parents' feelings. It's meant to improve lives of everyone. I think you are right on. I think, you know, my son is 16. So this was, you know, 13 years ago when I was having that moment of, and I think you're right on. It's, it was messaging, you know, and the message, the only thing I really knew about autism was, was bad stuff, right? And, and that it was um, lifelong. And so you combine those two and yeah, I was afraid for him, you know, and, and what did that mean? I think, um, and I don't know what it's like to have a child diagnosed today, but I think knowing what I know now, and, and I think that's why we, we all are in the roles that we're in and advocating is to have that message. Like it is okay. Um, it's going to be okay. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be differences. There's yes, we can band together and help each other navigate this. Um, but it's not, it's not the, the all is bad message. Like you're saying. Yeah. I think, you, you hit the nail on the head there. And I think um, if anything, life is just, it's different than I expected. So that is something I am navigating every season, every turn of, of a developmental corner or additional um, space that we want to navigate. But um, in that process, I have learned much more in, in accepting my child more fully, I am, I feel like more grounded in, in who I am, who he is, um, and, and shedding, shirking aside some of those expectations. So it's become a more comfortable and conscious process to, to identify my own expectations and our own, um, what 
progress and um, growth looks like um, instead of just grabbing on to this is what everyone else is doing and this is what it's supposed to look like sort of thing. And I think that that is something that we could also understand as difficulty to adapt. So it's not just autistic people who have a difficulty adapting to changed expectations. But then I also want to um, call out the increased prevalence of autism in parents of autistic children. And a lot of parents are out there and they have no idea that they are also autistic. Um, <laughs> and it actually happens a lot with um, mothers that I know that after their children are diagnosed, they're like, hey, what about me? That's me too. Um, and honestly, I think some of the time when I see parents who are really, really stuck on the idea of normalcy and they really, really can't let that go, that has a lot to do with internalized expectations of how life should be. And dare I say they perseverate on the idea of normal. And I think that it's really important for the community to destigmatize autism so these parents who are struggling get the support they need as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Oxygen Mask. We're going to continue this series on neurodiversity in um, a subsequent episode. So look for that. Thanks again for joining us. You can comment and subscribe to the podcast at Communities Engaging Autism's website at www.cea4, that's the number four, autism.org. Share the podcast with members of your village to strengthen those essential connections. And above all, please secure your own oxygen mask before helping others.